0: Oh wow, that was that was great, Mister West. Was it?
1: Yes, that Southwest West dog. All
0: right, well that the great, great,
1: great, 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 great grandson of Kanye West.
0: I mean, I can certainly hear the influence in there. That's uh some some fantastic stuff. I think. Dang,
1: Skippy! I'm not cursing. That's on God. On Yay. That's on my great, 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 great grandfather
0: well i i think you're definitely at the top uh we oh yeah i forgot we got one more person to audition this is just it's whoa whoa who's this fam it's just lady jessica's cousin i you know i don't know if we're really gonna go with this but she i'm just gonna humor her real quick so all right
1: all right it's family i guess i I, i'm down with the family so that's cool fam
0: okay uh jefferson go ahead and just uh let us let us hear what you got
1: all right sure sure
0: Oh. Oh wow! This is this is actually pretty good. This is beautiful.
1: Wait, wait, wait! Oh. Je- wait.
0: Jefferson, oh, that's enough. You you've got it. That's we're whoa, gonna go whoa, with that.
1: Whoa, whoa, whoa! Y'all just gonna you're just gonna accept him? You're just gonna do that right here? I I, I literally I I, I I sampled I sampled Lauren Hill sampling Dion Warwick on this House of Trades beat, and you gonna tell me? Jefferson with the kilt gonna come in and just take it over
0: I mean did you hear what he played it was
1: my great 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 grandfather is a god as as shown on his song I am a god all right fam
0: I mean I'm vaguely familiar with who that is but I you want to get
1: familiar
0: well you know I I hear what you're saying, and I also see that security is right over there. Security, can you Yo, just no, come? No, and, uh, no uh, get fam. this one out of where, here.
1: No, house of where, where the house at? Run that. Run that address, fam.
2: Can't save us. We don't want to be saved. Can't save us. We don't want to be saved. Can't save us. We don't want to be saved. Can't save us. We don't want to be saved. Can't save us. We don't want to be saved. Can't save us. We don't want to be saved. Can't save us.
0: We don't want to be saved. Can't save us. We don't want to be saved. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of White People Won't Save You. This is a podcast where we deconstruct the white savior myth in film, white savior myth, white savior trope, just all the white saviors. And then we recontextualize them from a black and POC lens. I am your host, Jordan Clark, as ever, with my co host, Cameron Mason. And we've got We got a hot one, we got a live one. Uh, we got one that you can go to your theaters and watch right now if you so choose, if you feel safe, or you can watch it at home on HBO Max. A
1: spicy one, a spicy one, will.
0: yeah. You know, oh. get the puns oh. in early. We, we are, of course, talking about Dune, which <laughs> came out last week, two weeks ago, fairly recently. Um, yeah, and has been the topic of much discussion on on the Internet, <laughs> um, but also has been doing very well critically. Like, you know, people mm-hmm. have seen the movie in theaters, have seen the movie on HBO Max, have given it mostly glowing reviews. Uh, but there's there's some dissent which we're going to get into. And joining us to talk about that is film and culture critic Kate Young. Hey, thanks for having me. Yeah. Thank you so much for coming on. Um, thanks for being here. Well, I think the the thing that, you know, I was scrolling through Twitter and somebody had retweeted one of your tweets talking about Dune. And I think it it was emblematic almost of how I felt about it. Right. Where, you know, it was like, I like this movie, but I can't ignore the white savior stuff going on underneath it. And I think that's where a lot of people of color, at least are coming from. Mm -hmm. Um, So tell us a little bit about just just that feeling of, of watching a movie that you're like, yeah, I, I like Dune, but also what's all this happening in the background?
2: Honestly, it it kind of hit me the same way a lot of things hit me in that, like I, I like to say that I'm like very easy to please as a film critic, like I distinguish between good movies and movies I enjoy. And so it was very much a movie that I enjoyed. Um, and I think when I first when I first saw it, I think I watched it like, on my laptop in bed, like just despite the director, but no, I didn't. <laughs> see. but um, but I I was so engrossed in it. I loved it so much. I was like very into it. I got to the sound rooms and I was like, this is mine now. Mm-hmm. And I I had I had like such an overwhelming reaction to something that I like quite literally would have ignored if it hadn't been available to me, mm-hmm. um, on HBO. And I was so like wrapped up in it that I was like almost euphoric initially. And then it was only when I sat back to write about it for um my, my newsletter that I was like, actually, maybe there's some some issues, some, some some, some little things we should chat about, perhaps. Yeah. Um and, and that's I still in,
1: in, inter <laughs> in, Negroes.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah, pretty much. And I mean, and I still really love the movie. Like I I am very much of the belief that like you can still critique a thing that you love but i think that there are, there are, are a lot of things in this film that like make me deeply uncomfortable um and i'm not like they do not offend me i'm very like keyed into the general state of hollywood at this point but they do feel like curious choices given the state of the world um and obviously like this is a this is a film that is so broad in scope that it would have been in development long before like the current political climate but it, it it feels like some some choices were made and i don't know that there were the best choices um but i do think that they detract from like what is in general like a vast and beautiful film
0: for sure uh cameron you you just watched this movie not that long ago how did you feel about it
1: yeah maybe two nights ago I have not read the book. I am kind of only familiar with it as like a meme. But honestly, <laughs> as or as like Dune, as like the piece of culture, I'm only familiar with it as like a meme of the David Lynch film. Yeah, because I'll see clips and I'll see like, you know, the janky uh, shield technology stuff. And they the old sandworm and the blue screen and all that. And, you know, that's funny mm-hmm. and all that. But i had like no idea what the book was about i knew it was about like house house systems and uh authoritarianism and i was like okay uh is that something i want to even involve myself in (laughs) even on a Mm -hmm. sci-fi level Mm -hmm. you know even fantasy wise like um
2: i mean you're doing better than me halfway through i was like where are the dunes (laughs)
1: there's a serious lack of (laughs) dunes i see sand i see sand i see dust i don't i see. think like
2: one one character says like this is my dune and i'm this like well, what's doon. the dune yeah, Where's
1: yeah the he does. where where what do you own bro <laughs> yeah but yeah i watched it with uh my roommates we had a projector situation so it, it kind of met the uh the middle ground between watching it on a plane and watching it in imax we met the middle ground and it's I, I kind of thought it was fine to good. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't know even know how much I really liked it. And I don't know how much I was really. I mean, I was definitely swept up by it for sure. Right. The the scope of it is to be. You can't ignore it. Mm-hmm. um, But I don't know if I enjoyed the experience or was like captivated by a whole lot of the characters. Mm-hmm. So I kind of felt. I, and I maybe still feel a little, um, a little distant from it.
0: Mm-hmm. it,
1: it, it in that sense, it feels kind of, um, uh, sterile a little bit. But, yeah. but, but I mean, I think I think like the landscapes and the and the visuals that they create, nonetheless, are still like compelling and captivating. So I still have to. I'm still down with it. It's just like I don't know how much I really internally enjoyed it, and I'm ex- but I'm excited for like a second watch because I think I will if it's still in IMAX for like another two weeks. I will like I'll I'll, I'll find that bread. I can scrape up that bread. <laughs> uh,
0: well, I guess that makes me the the only person to have seen this in theaters amongst the three of us. Uh, I saw it in the IMAX. It's Ooh. a it's a loud movie. It, <laughs> Hans Zimmer was not holding back uh, with the with the noises and the the whoops and all that. It's all in there, um, but it is. I mean. You know, we'll get into this in a little bit, but you know, Dennis Villeneuve was very adamant about this movie not being watched on your phone, about not being watched, you know, on your computer, like you need to see it in a theater, like this is a theater. I mean, experience. I love it's him, but he
2: a... can kick rocks. <laughs> 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 Don't tell me how to watch
0: my movie,
1: all right, man. Yeah.
2: Like, I did a whole thread on this on Twitter, but I was just like I am so opposed to this, like cinematic purity nonsense that's like very popular these days because like for me, this is quite literally a film that I would have ignored entirely. Like I would Mm -hmm. never have watched it until it like came to Netflix anyway. Mm. And now that I was able to see it day of date and watch it, enjoy it, be engrossed by it. Like now I wanna go pay my money and see it in a theater. Mm -hmm. Like now I wanna have the full experience. And like, I would not have been inclined to do that if I didn't have access to it before. Like, please calm down, Mm. your movie is good, just relax.
0: (laughs) And I feel like there is that that strain, obviously, with the Scorseses and the Christopher Nolans and a lot of people sure. who are even though Scorsese did, you know, uh, the Irishman on Netflix and all that. And Christopher but-
1: Nolan tried to get me to come out in the middle of a pandemic for Tenet. You need to chill, bro. Like, I'm not getting <laughs> okay, sick we're not for gonna you. Tenet's not our,
2: Let, let's relax. I love
1: I'm just Tenet. not going to. No, no slander. I'm not just I'm just not getting sick for him, bro. Like, I'm not I mean, going to. Like, yes, I did. I'm not going to publicly endanger myself. <laughs> i saw well, sidebar I sidebar i will say yeah. i saw a tenant in a in a drive-through theater in brooklyn new york if that if you want to <laughs> know what uh-huh. that on a rainy night <laughs>
2: <laughs> that does not sound ideal perhaps you to it was maybe
1: like the 10th row back it was not yeah. a good look bro yeah
2: i think i wait no i just remember i rented it i rented it on fandango mm. okay it was okay. so great i loved it i i oh my god i love some like, i enjoyed it i know. like time I, I, I fuck with tenant. yeah i fuck yeah with anyway anyway back. back oh to no yeah saying,
0: <laughs> but but that's but that's a perfect point though is that i feel like there's so much of this like i i love the theater i love going to see movies and theaters Same. specifically Same. movies Same. like this where it is like you, you there is the scale to it there is this grandeur mm-hmm. to it there's a lot going on you know you you do get more immersed in it right my tv is fine <laughs> you know I'm not, <laughs> I'm not living the 4k life with all the you Insane. know surround sound sound bar yeah. extra whatever So, sure, for movies like this or like big Marvel movies or whatever, like, let's go do it. For even though I want to support movies like Last Mm -hmm. Black Man in San Francisco and stuff like that, I can watch that at home. Like, that's also a fine alternative to that in terms of like, you know, the movie doesn't necessarily demand a, a big screen and, you know, the whole immersive experience. And so for people who one, didn't want to go out on a pandemic to see a movie. Um, Specifically when, because this movie was supposed to come out last year was the thing too. Like this movie Mm -hmm. was not scheduled to come out this year. So like when it was supposed to come out, if it had come out in 2020, when in the middle of like the huge spike in the fall, like, no, thanks. Nobody's seeing this movie. Right. So. I think that is a, a great point in terms of people's reception and access to this film is that you know now that it is both simultaneously streaming and in theaters like it's available to anyone who can get access to hbo max it doesn't mean mm-hmm. you have to have an account sorry hbo max but mm-hmm. you know what i mean if you can finagle your way in there you know what i mean like you mm-hmm. can watch the movie which is i would say as a filmmaker what i would want more than anything is for people to watch the movie that i spent three years making right i'd rather you mm-hmm. see it than not see it because not you, see know, it. you were mm. like it, it, like there was a barrier between you and my film you know for whatever reason mm. but yeah that's a whole other conversation let's <laughs> let's tell people who haven't seen the movie and we're about to get into i would say from this this point on if you have not seen dune and you care about the spoilers of dune And not just this movie but dune writ large because to have this conversation they're gonna have to get a little spoiler about dune the the whole series the whole dune of it all so um if you don't want to hear that come back to us after you've seen the movie or you know have done other due diligence but cameron here we go i'm gonna try to give you dune in five minutes what (laughs) you're really gonna try five minutes all right get the timer we're gonna see how this goes I feel like I have a fairly I, you know, there might be some confusion between me and the book and the movie, but I'm gonna I'm gonna try to give you the best that I can. So That's <laughs> fine, me, man.
1: That's fine, man.
0: Let me know when you got this timer going and Oh my god. Uh, I'm gonna see what I can do. <laughs> All right, man. <laughs> Three, two, one. All right. So Dune takes place tens of thousands of years into our future. Humans have left the planet they have gone into different planets throughout the galaxy and we've c- returned to like kind of like a feudal government system where there is an emperor and then there are like smaller houses underneath the emperor that are basically in place of our government right and so the two main houses that you need to know there's house harkonnen which is uh really just like a brutal almost like militaristic house. You know, they have a strong military, they rule by force, and they have been given uh, a fife in terms of this planet called Arrakis. Arrakis is, is where Spice, it was just kind of a space MacGuffin. Spice can be a lot of different things. Spice, in terms of what um, humanity wants it for and the emper- and the Empire wants it for, is what allows for interstena- interstellar space travel. Uh, It's what the navigators use to get around space spice for the people of Arrakis who are known as the Fremen is like a religious and like holistic thing that they use to, you know, lengthen their lives and they use it in their worship and a lot of other stuff. So house Harkonnen in control of Arrakis in control of the spice doing a great job. Suddenly the emperor is like, y'all got to get out of there. I'm going to put house Atreides in charge. So house Atreides is, Basically, you only really, you only really know th- about three people in House of Atreides. So there's uh, Duke uh, Ludo Atreides, who is portrayed by Oscar Isaac. There's Timothy Chalamet, who is Paul Atreides. He's the heir uh, to the throne. And then there's Rebecca Ferguson, who is Lady Jessica. It's not really explained well in the movie, but she is part of an order called the Benny Gesserit. And they are kind of like advisors, but also in the book described as like concubines and consorts. And so she's not married to the Duke, but she is the mother of Paul, right? And so she has been training Paul in the ways of the Bene Gesserat. Bene Gesseract, again, it's explained somewhat in the movie, but in the book, they are kind of like a mix of like a uh, uh, religious order, like a scientific order, right? And then almost like a like a secret society unto themselves, right? So they've kind of been manipulating political things behind the scenes, but also been manipulating genetics <laughs> behind the scenes in an effort to uh, create like a, a messianic figure, right? They're trying to create the one. And so Lady Jessica believes that Paul is the one. And so she's been Training him in the ways of the Benny Jesserat. There's a lot of other stuff that we don't really see, but besides, you know, just the martial arts of the Benny Jesserat and kind of like their just mental training. She's been training him with this power that they refer to as the voice, which is like if you've seen Jessica Jones, like the Purple Man, like he can make people do whatever he says. This is kind of the same thing where they say something and then you you you're compelled to do it, right? So Paul's kind of learning this power. All of that is set up for them to go to Arrakis. Paul has been having visions of Arrakis, visions of this girl on Arrakis, visions of his possible death, the death of uh, his teacher, Duncan Idaho, the death of like a lot of other stuff. He's not really quite sure what's going on. Um, His father, uh, the Duke, is pretty certain that this is a setup, that they have been called to replace House Harkonnen in, in order to fail right? Harseharkonnen is going to sabotage stuff. They're going to basically put them in a bad position so that the emperor can just dead the whole house and just like it's it's a wrap for them, right? And so his plan is to go in there and make contact with the Fremen, make an alliance with the Fremen, cultivate what he refers to numerous times as desert power and, um, <laughs> <laughs> and basically like flip the whole thing so that instead of this being a disaster for them, they control the spice, right? They control all of this economy. They become like, they instill themselves so much on this planet that like, there's no, I know I've passed five, uh, 30, well, no, you're at 30 seconds. Oh, what did yeah. they happen? Um, <laughs> but they instill themselves so much in this position that like, they have, you know, even more power than the emperor almost, right? And so all of this is set up, you know, before they even go to Iraq, because they're getting ready to go. Before they go, the leader of the Bene Gesseract calls Paul in to meet with him, right? This whole thing. Basically, Paul is what the Bene Gesseract view as a mistake, like he was not supposed to be born. Lady Jessica was only supposed to have daughters, she was supposed to further the line for them to get closer to what they believe will be the one. And so they view Paul as, as a liability. If Paul can't control himself, his emotions, all this stuff, they're just going to kill him right now. So he has to undergo what is known as the Jabbar. It's basically, he puts his hand on a box while the <laughs> uh, the leader of the order holds a poison needle to his neck. And if he is not able to control himself, she's just going to kill him right there. Um, another thing that the book does that the movie doesn't really do is that there's a lot of like sayings and things of the Benny Jesserat that are sprinkled throughout the book. And it's basically along the lines of like pain is fear leaving the body, that kind of stuff. And so, you know, like Paul is kind of like going through this mentally and is able to pass the trial. They let him live. He goes to Arrakis with everybody else. When they get to Arrakis, it's all fucked up, right? They land, uh, the Fremen are there, and they're basically worshiping Paul, right? Another thing they kind of sprinkle in but don't really hit on as much is that the Bene Gesserit have been basically like instilling propaganda on Arrakis about their mythology and their prophecy so they've been preparing the Fremen to encounter the one and so they see Paul, they feel like he is the one like he's meets all the criteria for them. Um, And As they go along, uh, you know, we see that the Harkonnens, the Bene Gesserit, and the Emperor, who we never see in the movie, but like is kind of giving his blessing, are basically trying to just wipe out House Atreides full stop, right? So they try to assassinate Paul, that fails. Um, They sabotage one of the carriers of the Spice. Um, I should also mention that there's giant worms in this movie <laughs> that mm-hmm. are in the in the sand of this planet Iraq it's it's a very it's a desert planet. The sand worms are there, and they attack these uh, spice trailers that are mining the spice. So Paul almost dies, you know, <laughs> trying to help people escape. He ingests a whole bunch of spice and like starts tripping out. Uh, he's having, <laughs> you know, deeper and deeper visions about the Fremen about, Zendaya, uh, <laughs> who is out there in the desert somewhere, but he doesn't really know where to find her. Um, we also meet, uh, the, only, the only character that we really need to know is Leah uh, Kynes, who is basically the minister of the change, and she's kind of with, she's with and against House Atreides. She's kind of like, she sees that all of this uh, stuff is going down, and she's not really with it, but she's also loyal to the emperor, and she can't really do anything about it. And so, basically what happens House uh, Harkonnen like just full on raid on the House Atreides. They come in, they've blackmailed the doctor of House Atreides to kind of give them uh, the Duke. You know he like hits him with like a like a paralyzing agent and is gonna turn him over to the uh, the Harkonnens, but also gives him like a like a poison tooth. You know to to kill all of them. Uh, everybody else in House Atreides we assume is dead, right? Like. There's a lot of just guns and sword fights and all this other stuff happening. Um, they take Lady Jessica and Paul out into the desert. They're kind of going to drop them off, but they're able to escape. Um, they're able to meet up again with Duncan Idaho, who also was able to escape, and uh, Dr. Lea And as they're getting ready to get next steps together, they're tracked down once again by House Harkonnen. Uh, Doug in Idaho dies. Leah kind dies, but Lady Jessica and Paul are able to escape once again. This time, uh, you know they're they're making their way to the Fremen uh, like stronghold that they believe is out there in the desert. But a a big sandworm finds them, chases them. Uh, they're just able to escape until they end up in this spot where the Fremen are at. Fremen are basically like, you know, Paul. We believe you're more or less the one. We think you can help us. Your mom, not so much. So we're going to kill her right now. Uh, you know, but they're able to fight them off. They kind of, I guess, earn their respect in that fight. Except for one dude who's like, fuck that. I don't <laughs> I don't want this. any of these people with us. I don't believe in any of this. I think this is all bullshit. Um, he challenges Lady Jessica to a fight. She's like, I'm not going to fight you. So Paul steps up in her place. And, you know, there's this one last thing of Paul having this vision of his death. uh, But the vision doesn't quite turn out like that because he kills this Fremen. And that is basically his like ticket into Fremen society, right? Like he's killed this dude and they see that he is a skilled warrior and that he kind of meets all the criteria for the one. And so they're brought in. The very last thing we see in the movie is uh, one of the Fremen is riding on one of the worms um As kind of like a, a mode power. of transportation, they once again say "desert power." Zendaya looks back at them and basically at the camera and says, "This is only the beginning." And then the movie fades to black. All right, so that's that's Dune.
1: <laughs> all right, that's ten minutes thirty nine seconds. That's a lot. Oh that was that's a lot of fucking movie, and you got just about all of it.
0: Yeah, I think I I think that you really <laughs> did just get about, mm-hmm.
1: more or less what we saw in the movie. And like all of it amounts to like a whole lot of <laughs> part one part one. And there's a lot of part oneism. There's it. a lot
0: of part one mm. going on here. And I think really where I want to start this conversation is just here's what's happening on the Internet, right? <laughs> there are people who are very adamant that this is not a white savior film. This is not a white savior narrative that Paul is not a white savior that Frank Herbert had written this as very much so the antithesis of that. It is an inversion of that. If you know Dune, you know, like none of this is is building up to that, right? But when you watch the movie, and this is, we can split hairs here a little bit, right? Do you think Oscar Isaac is Latino in this movie? Because I think he's a white man, but if you count him as a person of color in this movie, he dies. Jason Momoa. He dies. Uh, the maid to House Atreides. She dies. The doctor who is Asian. He dies. Um, the, uh, the guy who is kind of challenging Paul in his, uh, you know, acceptance oh, yeah. <laughs> into the Fremen culture.
1: Fremen culture. Yeah. Paul oh, kills God.
0: him. Uh, the doctor, Liet Kynes, who is helping them escape. She gets killed. Right, so basically every person of color that you yeah. see on screen who has a speaking role in a name dies <laughs> in this movie.
2: Pretty much, yeah.
0: The the guy who's kind of like the advisor to Damn. House of we don't really see what happens to only, him, but he ain't I around. He after. He he re, yeah, I you think, think he's dead? Think I don't know. I I, I assume everybody is dead in House of Trades. I blew that planet to bed. Yeah,
2: <laughs> planet up. He did.
1: Yeah, so.
0: You know, the, that that the thing for me is
2: like,
1: I, I I will say I'm drinking, so I'll pour one out for them. Yeah,
0: well, I mean, <laughs> you know, for for I, I will say not all of them, but some of them, you can definitely give them. Ooh, right.
1: Yes, we shout out. Shout out Stephen McKinley Henderson, yeah. a, a graduate of the August Wilson <laughs> acting
0: school, <Right>. basically. Yeah, <laughs>
2: but,
0: but it is it's jarring to watch the movie and kind of think about that where you're just like oh wait a minute you know because I was doing the math and I was like so what white people died and maybe I mean you can count the Harkonnens right they're kind of like a mass of people right like you know the the
2: I mean Thanos dies I think yeah I forget his name right like I think he's I think he's Uh, dead
0: in the same way that yeah like the the advisor is dead and that everybody in that yeah yeah Presumably everybody on the planet dead. is
1: presumed right dead. yeah
0: um but i can't think of any other named white actor in the movie who dies
1: well this gets into a thing that you know <laughs> this is this is tricky yeah this is like storytelling versus casting and what, is, what ends up happening because I, I and i'm also a huge like proponent of don't lie to me <laughs> you know <laughs> <laughs> you know Because you could say, yes, we could say that, yes, every person of color in this movie does, in fact, meet a demise, right? That's true. However, it's not necessary or it's not. I don't think it's uh, necessarily that the black i don't know okay okay okay. i want to i want to specify this (laughs) point because this is this is something that i see in a lot of movies Mm -hmm. especially a lot of movies or adaptations of books which is like people who end up being characters of color do usually meet a demise i mean the the trope of the black person dying first doesn't come from nowhere right Mm -hmm. but it wasn't a matter of like this person was on this side and this person was on this side and that side gets decimated that's why all those people are people of color it's more of they casted people of color in roles that ended up dying and that's what happens Mm -hmm. that's That's the thing that happens
2: that's kind of my big question because like, I I haven't read the books and I don't intend to so I don't know how many (laughs) of these characters are like originally not white but For me, what came up is this, like, and I think this happens with a lot of, of movies and TV shows now where they will, like, race bend a story without any real consideration for, like, what right. the newly assigned races will mean for the story. Like, they don't actually right. consider, like, what the implications are if a certain character is, like, Black versus white or if they're Middle Eastern or if they're Chinese. Like, they don't, they don't take into account how the history of having lived in a racialized body would impact the story they just make them white characters with brown right. skin for this for and the like, sake
1: of uh yeah. inclusion or diversity or whatever and they
2: end up just walking straight into a bunch of new problems because it doesn't occur to them that like there's a difference between like a white character who is a guard and like gives his life for some white kid and a Black character who does that or a Samoan character who does that. Like, that has a different implication, especially when you're talking about a story that is quite literally about, like, colonial expansion. So, 100%. I, like, th- that's kind of my issue. Like, I don't really have a problem with the cast being more diverse. I really enjoyed a lot of those characters. But when they mm-hmm. see, they start kind of, like, picking them off and it's all because of, they're trying to make sure that this one little special boy is still alive. Like, it, it, it I, it, it surprises me that that didn't come up at any point in the development process mm-hmm. of this movie.
1: Well, the, no one's ever paying attention to things like that. They, they, I feel like diversity and inclusion in these situations are like a step one situation where we only took step one. We didn't think about, you know, step two, follow up questions or things like that, you know, because as long as we've got, said black person or said asian person in this role we've checked our box that we and we and we've done mm-hmm. our job but then coincidentally which is what happens so often coincidentally or you know through a matter of circumstance this character meets a, an end that is very specific maybe mm-hmm. triggering to a certain audience and then they got a whole nother can of worms being the studio whoever they got a whole another can of worms to open and investigate, and the thing that I saw in this movie, I will say, was that the Fremen, who are the indigenous people of the planet, the Sand Planet, the Dune Planet, Arrakis, yeah, um Arrakis, <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. the they are casted more white. I mean, I I, I almost think specifically people yeah, of I don't color. Think there are
2: any white actors I, in? The, well. Not not I didn't see any white ethnic Fremen. white. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes.
1: They were all ethnic people, be it Arab, be it sh- straight up black, uh ver- uh, and also, you know, varying varying degrees of that because we have zendaya as what Chani, right? Something like that. Yeah, Chani. no,
2: she's on screen for like 10 seconds.
1: <laughs> sure. She was on screen for 10 seconds and we said her name way less than that. Um but yes we have Zendaya's character who is one of the Fremen and also a person of color very obviously you can't ch- you can't change mm-hmm. that so that's what i i, I see visually yeah. right and i see that the, the Fremen are being colonized uh so i can't help but ignore that
0: well Zendaya's also- literally in her opening you know, monologue to introduce you to the world. You know, basically is like, mm-hmm. you know, one day our oppressors left, and we were left wondering who our next oppressors would be, right? So, like, they're saying that up front, yeah. like, they're that's in the text. That's true. Yeah. So while this movie does a- attempt to
1: investigate something like that, it doesn't actually investigate. Um, I don't know, uh, and I guess this is at the at the detriment of the story. I guess Mm -hmm. that we don't get that. We don't get that explained.
0: Well, it's going to be the tricky thing for people trying to digest this movie in particular is that we get part one of a story, right? There is part two coming, right? And then there's a proposed possible part proposed possible part three, which is supposed to wrap everything up. So I, I think it's it is a little tricky. And what I want to do now is, I'm going to present some information (laughs) to you. Uh Because I think what is important to do, specifically with this movie is to parse Dune, the books and the series from Dune part one, this movie, because Uh it's all we have right now. So we can't really make full value judgments on what everything Uh is going to be, right. But at the same time, when you watch it, (laughs) you have questions and there's certain things that are going on. And I think to Kate's point, there is a lot of them trying to right wrongs of the 1984 version by David Lynch, which was it was basically just white people like there was just all Mm -hmm. white people. I think maybe there were some people of color kind of in the background somewhere, but all the main characters and people with speaking roles in that movie were white, right. And so yeah, I've I am going to play our Resident Dune expert. I'm going to do my best <laughs> to present objective facts from people who are speaking to Paul not being a white savior and more so to <laughs> Frank Herbert's general intentions with the series and Dune, right? Which is tricky because Frank Herbert's not making this movie, right? And so everybody's arguing on Frank Herbert's Mm. behalf. This is Dennis waves movie. And more so this is a movie that's being made in 2021, or released in 2021, as opposed to the the Dune book that was released in the 60s, right? But, well, that said, I'm I'm going to present some of this information to you. And then I'm going to present um, information from the other side, right? And so very, first off, this is from uh, an interview that Dennis Villanawibb did for a general critical you know audience, but specifically talking to Mike Manalo from Nerds of Color. And so the question that he has asked is, Uh, You know, there's a storytelling trope called The White Savior, where Kakaisha will go into a foreign land and act as a rescuer, a messianic figure to the indigenous people there. And Herbert's work has been criticized for falling into that trope. So how do you contemporize the story to avoid falling into the problematic areas that trope may potentially present? And Villeneuve responded, that's a very important question, and that's why I thought Dune was, the way I was reading it, a critique of that trope. It's not celebration of a savior, it's a condemnation and criticism of that idea of a savior, of someone that will come and tell another operation how to be and what to believe. It's a criticism. That's the way that I feel, and I feel it's relevant and can be seen through a contemporary lens. And that's why I'll say about that, frankly, it's the opposite of that trope. Right. So they follow up and they ask, could you talk about casting the Fremen and the meaning behind them in your film? Because it's a very surreal experience watching this movie as the U.S. is withdrawing from Afghanistan and hearing the opening line say, who will, who will our next oppressors be? And his response to that question is, The thing is, I tried to be as faithful as possible to Frank Herbert's description. I tried to be as faithful as possible to the images I had in my mind when I read the book when I was young, and this idea that the world of the Fremen would be kind of inspired by a culture from North Africa and the Middle East, culture that I deeply love, by the way, because it's a very complex world. There was this idea that there was something powerful that would come out of come out from Africa in Frank Herbert's mind. And I tried to respect his ideas, which is why I did the casting the way that I did. And I truly feel that I'm right in doing it this way because it feels authentic, it feels honest, and it feels true to the book. Um, So that's, that's kind of his take on everything so far. Any thoughts on that?
2: I think it's good that you have, like, done all of the extra reading and stuff, but I also firmly believe that, like, films should not require homework. <laughs> and hmm. so, because yeah. I feel like it's like, it's one of the issues I have with, I had with like Lovecraft Country, right? There's so much of that story that is, that presumes that you already know. And and so they simply just leave out details. And you're allowed to just kind of divine them. And I think with Dune, the issue that I'm having is not that I feel like things are missing. I do feel like it is the first part of something more. I think that's very obvious in the film that like more, or more is intended at the very least. But it doesn't change the fact that like, as a discrete unit of culture, it is in fact a white savior narrative. In fact, I will revise that because I don't think that he does any actual saving in this film, yeah. but it is, it is a film about a very special white boy and all of the brown people who have to save him and who give their lives to do that. And while it makes complete sense to me given the trajectory of this film that there will be a subversion coming in later stories. It doesn't change the fact that like, this is what this film is. And you can't subvert something that doesn't exist. Mm -hmm. And so if you want to tell me that you plan to subvert that in the future, then you are then admitting to me that it exists now, which is fine. I think that like, tropes are part of storytelling. That's why they become repeated. That's like how we understand what they are and how to interact with stories. But it, it, they do require like thoughtfulness when they are harmful. Uh-huh. And I, I, I don't know that this story quite gets at that. Like, I loved this movie and I loved the experience of watching this movie. And I'm very interested to see like where the story goes, because like, I don't know what the rest of the story is. Like, allegedly, this is like the first half of the first book or yeah. whatever. Like, I don't know what the rest of the book does. I haven't read it. I don't know what's coming. So I can't say like, oh, like, that's a great critique because I, I have no clue. But I do know that, like, in the way that this film is structured, like it has set very specific expectations for where the film goes next Mm -hmm. or for where the narrative goes next, because there are only so many ways to undercut the setup that has been done in this film. And a lot of that has to do with making Paul culpable for the number of people who have given their lives in service of him. And I don't know that that's a thing that will happen.
0: Well, so here's here's the thing about Dune, the first book, right? That I think is going to be tricky (laughs) in terms of how you go about adapting it. And that is, I'll speak on this just in in a little bit when I get to Frank Herbert talking about Dune, but the only way, like you were saying, Kate, the only way to subvert something is to at first present that to us, right? And so how this is going to work is that we're going to get that, right? Like Dune, for all the other political undertones the you know talking about culture and um you know spirituality and all this other stuff it is at its core a story about this white child from this other planet Mm -hmm. who comes to this world full of people who are living on a world that is you know abundant with a particular resource that these people need right that these other people need and so they come to their world this person is propped up as a messianic figure who will save them and like bring them absolution and salvation he joins them becomes one of them becomes almost the best of them you know in a lot of ways and helps them free themselves you know for the most part from you know the chains that were holding them down right and there's no way to do that without people saying well that looks a lot like X, Y, and Z, right? You know, like there's no Mm -hmm. real way to kind of shake that or get out of that if you're going to do it as faithfully as it seems that Wave is trying to do it, right? And specifically when you talk about the casting of people, you've got Javier Bardem, he's from Spain, right? So, you know, like he's part of it, but not really, right? But then you have a lot of these actors who are either Black or um, of varying descents. But one of the main criticisms about this film is that there really is not any... Arabic, Middle Eastern, North African representation, specifically in terms mm-hmm. of people who get to talk, right? Like, <laughs> if they are there,
2: despite the heavy influence in the film, too, it's like inescapable,
0: right? If they are there, they are just in the background as bodies to fill, you know, the fremen ranks, but they are not people who get to speak or make decisions or do anything like that, and so, yeah, um, that is one of the major criticisms of this. This is one last thing from Villeneuve speaking to Paul in general, right? And so he's he's speaking about Paul's journey. And he says, he's trained to be the Duke, but as much as he's prepared and trained for that role, is it really what he dreams to be? That's the contradiction of that character. He's like Michael Collier only in The Godfather. It's someone that has a very tragic fate, and he will become something that he is not wishing to become, right? So again, it's kind of this, he's foreshadowing something that you're not seen as a viewer, but he's speaking to it, you know, from this knowledge of, I've, I've read all the books and I know all of these different things, right? If you go on to Medium, there is a very, there's a very long post uh, by author uh, Harris Durani, who basically it, it is titled, Dune is not a white savior narrative, but it's complicated. And there's a lot, there's a lot going on, Right. But basically what he breaks it down to is that you will see if you read Dune Messiah, which is the second in the series, and then if you continue Not to read all of these other books, <laughs> and this is and this is I think again, speaking to what you're you're talking about, Kay, the, the arguments that are coming out against Paul being a white savior are coming from people who are saying, Well, but if you read the books, right?
2: but the book is not the movie and that's the and book like, is not the movie. what it is that i am consuming now is the movie and that's
0: the part and right
2: right and like and i think that it's fine to be like further movies will explore this and like when we get to them we will see whatever it is that is intended in, in those
1: sure 100
2: and like that's great i'm like i fully reserve the right to be like i agree it's not a wide server narrative once we get movies two and three but like i only have part mm-hmm. one right now and that is what it is and it may and obviously like when we're talking about the reactor structure like you do have to do your setup and so like this is the setup but it doesn't make it not what it is
1: yeah you can't uh, you can't argue your way out of what i saw
0: right <laughs> well <laughs> yeah. this is this is the argument that is being presented right and so um part of what they're saying is that in doom messiah paul see- sees himself as an imperial tyrant right like i won't get so spoilery for people who still want to read these books but paul Ascends to a position of power and is basically in the middle of a lot of bad stuff. And so, you know, the character doesn't necessarily see himself as this messianic figure, but sees himself kind of as the opposite, right? they go on to write that it's true that because the series is centrally about imperialist manipulation of indigenous resistance from an agency thus appears downplayed, especially due to narrative focus on the Atreides and the Bene Gesseract. So I mostly agree here. But even then, I read the focus of leaders as critical. It's notable that, um, as mentioned above in his essay, that Herbert saw the series as about communities and not individuals who believe that it's not that power corrupts absolutely, but rather it attracts the corruptible. So Jesus, Muhammad, American presidents, no matter how pure, are also bound by larger power structures. Their legacies and goals disconnected or co-opted by fragmented communities. So in this way, he plays pretty explicitly um, on a lot of these larger systemic things um, that kind of play out in in the books, right? He also writes that uh, Herbert's focus on structure versus agency in history and on the manipulation of the Fremen make them seem agency-less, but what makes the text of the story so interesting is how hard it is for imperialists to maintain power. There are always resistances or unexpected consequences from the environment or from the Fremen or other imperialists, right? Basically continues on this way, uh, talking about how even though, you know, like what you might see on the surface of Dune might kind of speak to that you know the the further and further that you look into it you're seeing that you know Herbert is kind of playing with these ideas of structure playing with these ideas of class playing with these ideas of what it means to be you know this cult of personality leadership figure and how oftentimes that just backfires and results in things getting worse again part one of the movie (laughs) we're not really seeing that Slight spoilers, part two of the movie, we're gonna see Paul be kinda of more. I mean, he's he's you know, you're seeing him continue to immerse himself in the ways of the Fremen, right? He's gonna use the spice. There's a lot of stuff that's gonna happen where it's gonna be kind of tricky for Villain Wave to really dissuade audiences from from seeing that. So I'm I'm interested to see uh how that works out. This last part here is from um A YouTuber uh, channel is Quinn's Ideas, and basically he's talking about, is Dune a white savior story, right? And so they're talking about Duke Leo Atreides, and that in the book, Leo Atreides is described as having dark olive skin. Chani is described as having pale olive skin. And just the idea of race in general is not really a thing as much as like the human race is a thing so there's a concept called race consciousness which is basically speaking to the history past and present and future of the human race so i guess tens of thousands of years into the future we have kind of merged racially as people and we're all kind of a middle ground brown olivey skin tone so that's kind of the world of dune uh from the from the book sense not what we're seeing in the movies again because we're seeing (laughs) rebecca ferguson does not fall into any of those she is very much a white woman
2: question Frank Herbert, the author is a white man yeah yes okay i mean i knew that (laughs) but i just like i wanted it on the record yeah I'm because gonna this, a... like, we're going to miscegenate our way into equality is like an extremely wide idea.
0: Yeah. Well, and uh, even the Benny Jesserat, right? Like, in the movie and in the book are kind of toying with eugenics in a way of we are yeah. tailoring this line of this very special person. And so. Who's to say? I mean, my friend was watching it and she was asking me questions about the book. And I, you know, I know what I know, but I don't know that much. Because she was just kind of like, "I wonder at that part where (laughs) Paul gets called in to talk to the to the head mother of the Benny Jessorat." You know, was she just like on some royal family stuff? Was like, "But is this girl you're seeing in your dreams brown?" Because that might be a problem. Like maybe let's steer away from that. So it's not it's not quite clear in the in the books and in the movie you know, we're seeing kind of two different things. And again, in the 1984 version, just white people. Sting is an M. Just movie. white people, yeah. <laughs> so, mm. you know, <laughs> in this one, we're getting that diversity, but it, it is, it maybe complicates things in a different way than was anticipated. Um, mm.
2: Yeah, I wish, I wish the movie had leaned into the stakes that it had set up more. Mm-hmm. Because I think that like, We're telling this story about like imperial conquest and like colonial expansion, this research rich story uh, a planet that is full of these brown indigenous people who are tasked with, you know, maintaining this land. We have all of these like colonizers coming in happy to extract from it without, you know, giving anything in return. They literally say permission. that, by the way. Yeah. They also literally say that. Yeah. yeah, and, like, to me, that, like, and, and that's part of why I'm, like, I'm not upset about, like, the cast of this film. Because I think that the way that this film is cast lends itself for the kind of rich storytelling that is framed by the general arc of dune but what i think that it like i agree i agree that is like not actually like acknowledging that like i want i want investigating
1: it it's not gonna but it's not gonna happen in service of like what they're trying to do to uh, adapt the book or i'm sure i mean also again not a book reader but maybe that kind of stuff is in there who's to say other the book readers and (laughs) and if so like you like you said like you said if they do that in the second book, if they while he's ingratiating himself into the feminine culture or whatever, we understand like uh, maybe a caste system or a race system that like, you know, might be different than theirs, then sure, that might be interesting and that might be like something we can like grapple with and actually talk about. And, and maybe this subversion of the white savior trope does exist. But what you've shown us and what we're saying and what you continue to speak to but not at you know shows volumes mm. of like what you're trying to avoid yeah with yeah, this because movie. to me,
2: it's like it is very clear that like the production team of this film is aware of those dynamics what is not clear sure. to me is whether or not the characters are aware of those dynamics and like that is the element that's missing for me because well, that, like,
1: they're acting like they don't mm. they're acting like that's right. not important even and if that's... it even if it is the exchange of the people of house atreides to the directly with the fremen like like i said Mm -hmm. like oscar isaac his character says the uh, the duke says that to the fremen woman who helps them like or shows them the the spice run Mm -hmm. he says that he says i i feel awful for uh we come to your country and you know get this spice but we don't you don't ask for anything in return we have nothing to give you in return other than other than like us, you know, it being in charge of it. Yeah. <laughs> that's that's our part in this play, you know.
0: Well, I, and there is something to speak to about the Fremen themselves and the way that they are presented in this movie and then the way that they're presented mm-hmm. in the book because I think one of the things that's also happening here both in the book and in this film is that we're getting a little bit of that. I mean, there's a lot of different terms for it, but it is kind of this um Native exactly Native culture together. as yeah well Native culture as as uh simplistic and like tribal and like just the descriptions of them that you get from different people so you see Jason Momoa's character Duck in Idaho he comes back from spending mm-hmm. some time with them and you know his descriptions about them are like wow you know they fight like demons and they're like you know this very you know he's 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 hyping them up just in terms of like their their strength and like the way that they you know defend themselves and like they're kind of like a hard people but at the same time you're seeing them and like they're a smart people right like they're a technologically advanced people like they have created these stilt suits they've created
1: the still suits yeah all of these
0: different ways in which that they they preserve and recycle the water that they have they've Cultivated all these different ways of moving across the desert without attracting the sandworms. They've made a a, kind of a peace with the sandworms. You see that they're able to like ride them and use them for transportation. Like they have
2: desert power. Yeah,
0: (laughs) Yeah. cultivated the desert power, right? (laughs) And so you you see them almost in two ways. There's one way where it's just like because even Josh Brolin's character says to him, "Oh, you've gone native, right?" At a certain point, right? Mm -hmm. And Um. (laughs) <laughs> and it's not <laughs> and it's not pushed back on right like it's stated as yeah. a thing almost as a joke and then yeah. jason momoa is like yeah maybe i have you know maybe i don't, I don't know <laughs> you know mm-hmm. and you're kind of like i mean how am i supposed to interpret that right because like i mean what does yeah. quote unquote native mean in this context but also these are not people who are you know they're 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 presented in kind of like a mystical way right in the yeah. same way that you know sure. in dances with wolves right the native americans were presented as kind of like this they're they're better than us because they live a simpler life and they and because they, yes because of the simpler life or this connection to the earth the or land.
1: god that we don't have or the land right. yes that we don't have and in Dune, the same way, they had this connection to the sand, to the spice and to the yeah. worms that the
0: that house, the
1: people of House Atreides will never understand.
0: Right. And but it kind mm-hmm. of and I think what oh, go ahead. Oh, continue, <laughs> I was just going to say, and that's and that's a way to simplify them without giving any of these characters any actual depth because, you know, it, but it creates it creates
1: that otherism, mm-hmm. it creates that in, inherent xenophobia. Right. It creates it creates it creates an environment for that, like it's. It's funny because people want to say they're combating these things or uh, there's, or, you know, uh, subverting Mm -hmm. these things, but plainly presenting otherism, plainly presenting xenophobia, like in most of what the movie presents to
0: you. Yeah. Kate, what are you going to say? How can you? Yeah,
2: there's a very, like, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Like anthropological gaze on the Mm Fremen. Um, Mm. that, and I think that comes up like most explicitly, like in the early scenes where Paul is watching his like, I don't know, projector books or whatever they're called Um, (laughs) and learning about the Fremen. And then there's very much a like uh, detached uh, gaze from them and from their culture. And I think what Mm -hmm. I would like more of, and which I, to be fair, I presume is what is coming in the next film, is more of a perspective from their point of view because I think that we have a very clear idea of like what all of these other uh societies in this universe uh or slash narrative Mm -hmm. um Mm -hmm. how they feel and how what their perspective is on the feminine and I think a lot of it is the fact that like the feminine are supposed to be they're very close-knit the very close knit they do not really let outsiders in a lot like their Mm. whole deal is like very much is very insulated and like not available to the wider world that they're in and so that I think is part of what contributes to the view that they have of them. But I think that what these characters like the Harkonnen and the Atreides are are not understanding is that part of that tight-knit, part of why they're so tight-knit is because of their understanding of their relationship to these other societies that are coming in and colonizing their planet and mm-hmm. extracting resources from them. Like that is a form of protectionism on their part. Mm-hmm. And for them, the there's this long tail of, um, of resource extraction and a dismissal that does not incentivize them to participate more fully with the rest right, of the right, societies. Right. Right. And so I think for, like, I mean, I think even in that first meeting with, like, Oscar Isaac and, and what's his face?
0: Have your brother,
2: That's the one. <laughs> there is very much that, like, I love that scene where he comes in and he, like, spits and they're all ready to, like, cut his head off mm-hmm. and Duncan Idaho has to be, like, we appreciate the water from your body like we'll do it too like like, that 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 whole sense of like these people are savages and like we are just trying to like placate them and make sure that they understand that we have work to do and like just stay out of our way essentially Mm. when for them they're fully aware of like how this operates and like what their position is and they know what their boundaries are what their lines are and what they're prepared to fight against or to or when to rebel if those lines are crossed. But there is no incentive for them to help. There is no incentive for them to participate because they gain nothing from that. And no one is offering them anything for it. And I think that it, like, one of my major questions was, like, why aren't the fremen the ones doing the spice extraction? Like, how is that not, like, the native industry? Well,
1: I assumed, I I assumed, that it was like a thing, like they just don't have the technology. Like, even but, if but they tried, it's, been,
2: it's there though.
1: But uh, sure, sure, it's there. And like, uh, they know how to, you know, dance, not to mm. mess with the sandworms. They know exactly how to like live on the land, but they're not trying to cultivate the spice for any other reasons but their own holistic reasons, right? It's mm-hmm. everybody else who wants it for space travel, drugs, or whatever, it, you know they so choose to use it with. Um, so they're the ones who come in and create like the technology and bring it there. I always thought of it you know and I mean not always obviously because I saw the movie a couple days ago but like mm-hmm. I thought of it as like you know the slave trade honestly like everybody else was harvesting corn, harvesting, wheat, rice, whatever these things are, whatever these resources are for their own good and to feed their families. It was only until other people saw it as an industry or saw it as a commodity that could make them money where they had to produce it en masse. So they had to create technology in order to do such. And it's only those people who created that technology know how to use that technology and bring it to wherever they, you know, so choose to grow crops or, you know, I don't know. Uh, okay. sift sift sand
0: mm-hmm. yeah well i i think part of the big challenge and issue is that dune the book is like 800 something pages like there's a right there a lot is happening and I,
1: fam i'm trying to read the words of, of
0: other sons <laughs> i got i got stuff to read <laughs> so in the book the fremen do collect spice but, for them, again, it's very much so in this way of like we are one with the land, we are one with our environment, and so like spice is not a resource to be abused, spice is not a resource to be hoarded mm. or like only like used for it for these very superficial reasons right it's it's almost like a a very it's not scarce, but it's like respected, right like spice is used in a lot of their right. religious um things and like uh it is almost like a holistic medicine that they they use and is part of their diet and so like they really don't like for again for the people coming down and taking it like spice is just one thing but for them spice represents many different things and so like you know they because of their relationship with the worms and it is not fully stated in the movie but the sandworms are what generate the spice like their movement throughout the planet is what creates the spice and brings it to the surface of the sand for it to be collected and so you know with their relationship with the worms like spices is abundant but also like spice is probably like anything finite right like once you're out of spice that's it so they're not out here just like scooping up a bunch and just (laughs) you know having a spice parking away with it just kind of like no like we we take what we need but no more than that right Right. So I think uh, a, a good place for us to transition to would be. Um,
2: can, we talk for a minute? <laughs> can
0: we can we we're going to talk a little bit about a side that I find very interesting, and that is the side of um, North African and Middle Eastern people who are responding to Dune in in a lot of different ways because to them, again, Dune has always represented something false in that it's their culture is reflected, like Frank Herbert is very much so somebody who pulled literally and directly from real life events, real life culture. Uh, you know, certain languages are pulled directly, like quoted verbatim, like he's using real words and putting them into this book. And so for them, it's like, we're here, but we're not, right? Like we're represented, Mm -hmm. but not really, right? Because if we are the Fremen in this situation, what's up, right? Like we don't really get to have much say in what's happening here. Our story revolves directly around this white child who comes to us and basically is because that's the thing about it right in the book and in the movie even though it is somewhat of a benny jester plot to produce you know their messianic figure like the fremen just believe that somebody not them from another planet who is white (laughs) or at least looks like this looks not like them is going to come to them he is going to, you know, you get a bits and pieces of it, right? Like Harvey or Bardem, guard in that meeting when he kind of comes in, the last thing he says, he looks at Paul and he says, I know you, right? Or something to that effect and then and then walks away. And then, you know, another time uh, Paul comes across a Fremen and they say something to, to the extent of like, and he will know your ways like they are your own. Oh, it's it's the doctor, doctor, uh, mm-hmm. yeah. you know, like when when he's putting the, the stilt suit on, it's like, oh, he will know your ways as if They are his own, right? Like, it's just kind of like the prophecy is being fulfilled, even though it's all a lie, right? Like, it's not not what they believe. It's what they've been conditioned to believe so that, you know, this other plot can take place, right? And so there's a lot of, like, feelings of, like, I mean, I guess Dune is cool, but also like, you know, this is kind of uh, messing with us and also very much so I, I can I can bring this one back. You know, they're just like,
2: He copied my oh, whole fucking shit. flow. That kiss me through the phone. He copied my whole fucking flow. Oh, word for shit. word, bar for bar.
0: Because that's kind of what Frank Herbert did. He just, <laughs> he just took mm-hmm. it bar for bar, didn't change it, injected it into his science fiction narrative and... Mm. Get it. i
1: mean even the fremen language sounds vaguely Arabic
0: it, i mean it, it there's a lot of words that are literally it, arabic it, it <laughs> might have well.
2: from arabic yeah
0: um, yeah and so i think oh go ahead
2: i'm of two minds about this only because like i'm not familiar enough with middle eastern culture to like make any particular argument about it but what i think what i think is an issue with the film is that it it like understands those influences and shies away from them because it like it understands that those usages are in some way problematic but doesn't understand how and so instead of like leaning into them and correcting them so that they are not problematic usages they just kind of end up with this flattened out semi-generalized mishmash of like appropriation that ends up being what we get instead and it's like It would have been better if you had just leaned far into it and made it less ambiguously um, Arabic or North African, because then we would know what those influences are. These would be intentional and those can be parts of how you are telling the story. But I think instead they were like, well, it's not really Arabic. They're like a different kind of mythical people that we don't really understand because I think like there was a great piece in Vulture, I think by a critic Roxana Haddadi, where she talks about the context in which this book was written. And the fact that like at the time, the Middle East very much was this like unexplored, like well unexplored by white people, you know, mythical place that, like, people didn't really understand. And so it made sense to frame them as this, like, other, essentially. And unfortunately not, a ton of that has changed. But, but now when we're in a, in, a, in a time where we've spent, you know, like, two decades in Afghanistan and we're pulling out, like, we know so much, we know enough now that those cultures are not magical. Not that they ever should have been, but that, that is no longer the relationship that we have with them. And so trying to pull back enough so that it's not quite them, but not enough that it's clearly not them, mm-hmm. like, also doesn't work. It's like you can't, you, you can't do half measures, sure. either you're in or you're out.
1: Well, since, like, sand and dunes are such a aesthetically intrinsic part of, like, Middle Eastern life... Uh... It, I guess that's why I, I see the director and the production designers and whoever leaning towards that so easily, right? Because one and one makes two, mm-hmm. right? It's like, it's a simple thought. Once, you, once you're able to you see dunes and you're uh, initially going to associate it with, you know, the world's deserts. Yeah. So it's not like Star Wars where, you know how Star Wars does the thing where, Whatever planet will be sorta of like this one is like the Amazon, or mm-hmm. this one's like Antarctica, or this one's like it's it's sorta of like. But even in Star Wars where we have a planet like Tatooine, right? Where Luke Skywalker's from, for those who don't yeah, care about it. No
0: melanin. Doesn't make sense. Got <laughs>
1: this boy got no melanin in his skin. Not no one, not no one on Tatooine, got any brown going on. This is like a new place i hadn't seen any place like tattooing that's in the first movie right i don't have to go too deep into star wars but dune kind of takes the easy way out a little bit because even lynch was like well all these white people live out here on this (laughs) desert planet (laughs) because lynch just doesn't care didn't care to you know hire black people or black actors and now we have all the opportunity all the resources in the world this movie costs a bazillion dollars to make let me Actually, let me look at how much it costs to make. It costs $165 million to make. Yeah. And they made that choice.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: They still made that choice to hire Brown and POC actors yeah. to play the Fremen. They use a... They could have... For $165 million, you could have made two languages. I mean... <laughs> You could have did anything. You could have said all these people are purple. They could have did anything in the world. But in order to make it more palatable and easily digestible as an otherism, they still decide to make these people POCs, North African, Middle Eastern people speaking an Arabic like language like
2: i you, mean i you, think it's
1: there's intent there's intention
2: yeah i mean i think stars is a good example actually because like that's that is also a desert planet like those influences are also clearly there but they're not they are far enough from the real world that we can imagine them as something new and different and distant and wholly its own whereas i think with june those influences are so heavy and so direct that they cannot be anything other than an allusion to real people in real places. And when you when you structure your story that way, you invite those comparisons. And if those comparisons aren't favorable, then like you just set yourself up. Especially for a group of people that are already so demonized in the country of release. Like, this is not, and that's kind of what I mean about like oversight, because I feel like there's there are a lot of there's a lot of good stuff in this film and i feel like there's a lot of stuff that should remain it just should be treated slightly differently and like this is one of those things where i wouldn't want to necessarily excise the arabic influences of this film i would just want to clarify them because i feel like if we're if we're using those we're using their language we're we're influenced by their clothing we're, we're we're using all these direct allusions to real people and real places like what are you telling me about your story by relating them to those people? Like I need you to tell me or to clarify or to make more explicit what that relationship is meant to signify in this fictional world that you've built. Because right. without that, you've just given me like space daddies. Yeah.
0: Well, so, <laughs> uh, a few, I mean, I don't want to speed through all of this, but there's, there's a few things to to speak to that that I, that I find interesting. So you know Frank Herbert. You can read a lot of what he had to say on Dune. And it's very well documented, just in terms of his intentions and his beliefs about the uh, the the series. But one of the major quotes from him is the bottom line of the Dune trilogy is "Beware of heroes. Much better rely on your own judgment and your own mistakes." Um, And that Dune was aimed at his, at this whole idea of the infallible leader, because my view of history says that mistakes made by a leader or made in a leader's name are amplified by the numbers who follow without question. And so a lot of what Mm -hmm. he is speaking to in this, in his mind is that, you know, the Western man sets out to do a lot of different things and do it through power and do it through force. And that typically backfires and ends up hurting, not just themselves, but a lot of other people, right? And so, you know, his his intentions, and we say this all the time, intentions don't equal reality, right? You might intend to do one thing, but the way that it comes out might be another thing. He very much had his intentions set on this being something that looked at the West and Western men and the way that they've set out to conquer the world and all this stuff as a negative and that, you know, these often are our shift as humans to kind of follow these cults of personality, good, bad, and different, you know, uh often leads to some very terrible things, right? And so all of that said, here's some quotes <laughs> from varying people about the Middle Eastern or lack of influence on Dune, right? So John Space, who um, was a co-writer of this film, was stating just in terms of the Middle Eastern influence, right, that they had to pull back on the use of Arabic culture embedded in the novel for the film. Uh, The Arab world is much was much more exotic in the 1960s than it is today. Today, the Arab world is with us. There are fellow Americans, they're everywhere. If you were to build a kind of Arab future of Iraqis and the novel starting today, you would need to invent more and borrow less, right? So that was kind of the thinking of the people who were making this one. Well, all that said, uh, there's still a lot of feelings <laughs> uh, from, from Middle Eastern and North African people so Serena Rasul, the founder of the Muslim American casting called the lack of uh, Middle Eastern and North American actors in an the and that you don't cast Middle Eastern and North, a- North African or Muslim actors, yet you profit off their culture. And that's what's painful for us as creatives. It means that we're not good enough to be part of this film. Right. So there's a lot of that feeling when you go to. I mean, I would agree. You know, getting even deeper into that. Right. This is from an article that I recommend that everybody reads uh because it's very enlightening it's from slate um it's by ali uh carjo rivari sorry if i mispronounce your name um who definitely like this is very enlightening because the title of the article is is, is Dune a white saver narrative right and so i I'm, i don't want to read his whole article <laughs> to you verbatim mm-hmm. but i do want to point out some parts because it's just like That's how I feel after watching this movie. Mm -hmm. Um, So it starts off with what's left when you take away all of these thoughts and ideas and all of that detailed exposition and replace it all with sweeping vistas and a blurring Hans Zimmer score what remains on the sandy plains of arrakis is in large part a vague middle eastern and north african aesthetic peppered with actual arabic words and filmed on location in jordan and abu dhabi unfortunately that aesthetic is not neutral in hollywood and the image of an arab-ish crowd or veiled wailing woman not to mention when it's injected with violence has a history that is steeped in the dehumanization of an entire peoples it is certainly possible to reclaim and complicate these images but that would have required an upfront act of subversion by the filmmakers at The very least, it needed uh-huh. a multifaceted non white character who has survived to the end, right?
2: Yeah, I'm just nodding my head. Wow, I'm wow. Like, yep, speaking <laughs> my language 100%.
1: Well, we, yeah, we literally just clear, cleared aired that motherfucker out. Right. Mm-hmm. So, I mean,
0: <laughs> first of all, let me uh, <laughs> let me find this uh, because very much so, right? Well, <laughs> continuing on, he writes. Herbert writes that this story began with a concept to do a long novel about the messianic convulsions, which periodically inflict themselves on human societies. In doing so, he was particular that it was Western man who was the focus of his ire. He uses these messianic impulses to control other societies and further inflict himself on the environment. Right. And so he goes on to cite the many, many, many inspirations uh, that come from the decolonization of the Muslim world in the 1960s, and the fact that many of the characters in the book are directly inspired by the leaders of these revolutions. Um, he goes on to say that Villeneuve may have been aware of some of these themes when he chose to cast African and Black American actors for his movie adaption and at the time of the casting was first announced this felt like something to be celebrated yet when it became clear that the casting of these African and black American actors was to the exclusion of North African and Middle Eastern actors, many were disappointed, add to it that the strongest black performances were from characters who died, or her lack depth afforded to Paul and his mother and the choice ultimately felt empty. He also writes that part of, uh, this is also Herbert's fault. By writing the story in which he intended to critique Western man, Herbert also centered Western man. Often when critiquing something, Mm -hmm. one falls into a binary that prevents the very third option that so many have been looking for since decolonization. Um, He goes on to write that Herbert's shortcoming is not his idea that Western man seeks to exploit the deification of charismatic leaders, but that Arabs or any other non-Western would easily fall for it. This notion, in fact, builds on a stereotype that motivated European powers to fund propaganda among Muslims during the world wars in the hope that they could provoke a global jihad against one another. let to say that didn't happen because Islam isn't a warrior religion whose followers are just waiting for the right trigger to go berserk. Islam's followers are human and are as complicated and multifaceted as other humans. Herbert should have seen that more clearly. Yeah. Now listen! That's called motherfucking bars, nigga! You
2: know nothing about that! <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, but yeah, all of that, right?
2: I agree, hundred percent. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, yeah, I mean, like,
0: all actually, that
2: was right. <laughs> this this makes me think of um one of the main critiques of um HBO Max is the the White Lotus. Actually, I think when once the the oh, arc had yeah. wrapped up, In an interview with Mike White, the cre- the creator and showrunner, they were talking. One of the questions they were asking was essentially like, okay, so you are trying to show what miserable people these white people are. But in doing so, you have centered them in your story, and all of the brown people they harmed are cert- like orbiting them in this way that denies them interiority. And so, like, you can say that, like, oh, well, it's a critique of whiteness, but like, that's a cop out that allows you to not examine your characters of color.
1: And the like, fact that, yeah, the fact that you have centered these characters, these yeah. white characters. I mean, this is a problem we're running into constantly, Jordan, when we're talking about these movies, especially Dancing with Wolves, Avatar, Mm. all these people, all these indigenous peoples who are minding their business on these uh, on these planets or in these worlds. They don't necessarily speak up Mm -mm. (laughs) in these movies written by white people. Yeah. You know they're not given a voice by their white screenwriter or not given a voice by the white studio heads or whoever is giving them agency
0: in the film right yeah and oftentimes their characters are way more interesting than <laughs>
1: and oftentimes and oftentimes, yeah. and oftentimes their characters are way more interesting but the fact is like the people who are making the movie be it the producers the writers directors, are mm-hmm. not interested or don't have any like actual knowledge of them whatsoever yeah. like Let's talk about randomly uh, the movie Soul, the Pixar movie mm-hmm. that just came out last year. So you have a movie that was directed, co-directed by a white man who is like the main technical Pixar director yeah. who had to pull in, who had to pull in their writer because who had to pull in their writer as a co-director because they didn't know enough about black life in order to make this a truly, you know, um, authentic experience, right. make this movie an authentic experience. So at least they did their due diligence there. But you have a movie like Dune where it's the book is written by a white person who acknowledges that they take from Arabic cultures, North African cultures, who take from uh, Mediterranean cultures and are are making a statement about what has been done to these people, because if you're taking from them, you're only taking from them because they're the people who this was done Mm -hmm. to. You're not taking you're Mm -hmm. not you're not putting um, Amazonians here. Yeah. Right you're not you're not taking people from space planet five and putting them there right you're taking the people who have been taken from exactly
0: and and i feel like so much of it comes down to when you are making these decisions right and again i we can all say we enjoy dune the movie right Dune, the movie yes yeah. yes I'm, I'm fun to watch not we're, I like we're, we're for it we're, right? we're for it here but there's certain things <laughs> that it's just like c- could you have gotten somebody from these backgrounds to be a screenwriter to you know be the casting director to be <laughs> somebody in charge somebody. of some of these that like mm-hmm. had decision making power to have the foresight to come and say hey you know this this is how this is going to look right when we do this. And I just I want to let <laughs> you know, okay, I, you know, but it's it's I mean, movies yeah. are a visual medium.
1: It's a medium of sound and, vision, and what's crazy. Right? Is it is literally that's what you're getting
0: villain away is one of my favorite directors. Right. And it is a yeah. constant across his films from a visual perspective. He's very much a every frame a Rembrandt kind of director where like everything has meaning. He's not putting things on screen mm-hmm. for no reason. Everything that right. you see from the colors that people are wearing to like just the color correction of the film to the setting, to the way that things are shot, the angle. Every, everything has some larger meaning that he's trying to convey. So <laughs> I f- cannot believe that he would cast certain actors and not have some understanding of how that would look specifically when all the ones that you're casting are ones that are going to get killed later on in the movie right and so I, I struggle with that in the sense of I feel like he didn't <laughs> right because of how the movie came off but then it's also like how can you have an mm-hmm. eye for all these other details and not this one right like that and that's... not
1: this main <laughs> this big detail this big yeah. honking detail yeah,
2: like... I mean I I <laughs> I don't know if it's saying the benefit of the doubt is the right way to phrase that because I don't think it excuses it but I I genuinely don't think this is something that occurred to him in this no. way. And I don't yeah. I don't know if that makes it better or worse that it m- was accidental as opposed to intentional and simply disregarded but I <sighs> I think like one of the things for me that like frustrates me in general about like conversations about film and television in the US. I think like because so much of like American cultural imperialism is like so big that I think that we have a tendency to forget that like people from places that are not the US have like different relationships to race and culture than Americans do. And like what I think this is is simply a product of like him being a French-Canadian and, like, not understanding the very specific ways in which race plays out in this country. Mm -hmm. Because I think that, like, you know, I'm Black, I'm Black everywhere. But, like, how that is expressed is different from place to Mm -hmm. place. And I don't know that he necessarily was as keyed into the very highly charged and, like, specific way that those things happen because like when we're talking about like the representation of people of color on screen in the U.S. like it's not just like oh they're mean they killed off all the black people it's like there's like a documented history of like how we treat black characters in film throughout the general history of American cinema that like has given rise to these like specific problems that we are constantly in conversation with regardless of if we intend to be and Mm -hmm. so I think for me it's like it's it's less that I think he's like malicious because I genuinely don't believe that. Yeah. I think that's more you I that agree he's like not consciously kind of like recognizing the history in which he is 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 participating in and contributing to uh in a way that like allows for these like massive blind spots. Yeah.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. Well, I, I think you know, I, I would like to transition into the reimagining of this film, which again is difficult to do because we just got part one don't know, you know, how they're going to approach or reinterpret part two. But let's just, let's take a step back, you know, in in a, in a larger way and just say for things like Dune, right. Or books that are being adapted from the sixties, from the seventies, from, you know, not time long, long ago. Right. But just like from, from times and their, their worldview is centered in the specific era right they're responding to things that are specific from that era and then we are taking them and adapting them into a modern era right and so obviously mm-hmm. it's not as simple as just well just make him black or just you know like do this that and the third right. like there's a lot of other things thing. that
1: yeah which is what we're living through i feel like yeah. i feel like we're living through hollywood figuring that moment out which is oh yeah sure let's make this guy black or that character black or I maybe call the- it, yeah
2: I call it the out of black monster. Yeah, because they—they just—it's. An, and that's not. That's the issue for me because I feel like I'm fine with race bending. I think that it is like an interesting way to bring new dimensions to the story. But the problem that Hollywood has is that they they change the cast and they don't actually bring the dimension yeah.
0: and they don't investigate it ever at all. Yeah. I call it, and that's what we end up stuck with. I refer to it as diversity bingo, where they just, they're just <laughs> checking off <laughs> one, you know, make sure that we, they're can, checking off boxes you know, and then we can, make mm-hmm. sure they got right. it, make sure they did it. But, and that's, yeah, that's the moment we're living through in Hollywood right now. If we're thinking mm-hmm. about how to do a movie like Dune, so we don't have to speak specifically to Dune, right. If you don't want to go down that route, but, in reinterpreting Mm -hmm. some of these touchstone science fiction, war, whatever it is that we're, we want to bring back, because there are things in Dune, I would say, if you read it, that are like, Oh, this is, yeah, this is cool. This is like very interesting. Um, it's again, a very heady, very dense kind of novel. And so there's a lot of ideas floating around and it is another victim of one of these. I have read, 400 books and now I'm going to write a book right and I'm pulling from this culture and that culture and this and that and yeah. like some of those things don't go together because they're that that's not how that was made right like um, yeah
2: that's not how it works that's not how any of this works
0: right like you can't you can't just do that and expect it all to, to, to specifically when and this is where yeah. white people listening follow me as I go down this road as we as we take you down this 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 hole it's not that white people can't it's not that white people shouldn't right in terms of writing about or making movies about or telling stories about other cultures other people other you know because there's plenty of examples that you can go down the list of like oh a white person made that wow right but the thing about it is Bobby Caldwell. No, I'm
1: just, <laughs> yeah. I'm just being stupid. That's me. Don't dumb. be
2: bad at it.
0: But <laughs> the thing about
1: Yeah, don't, don't, be, bad don't, be, don't be bad at it. Don't suck Don't be bad
0: at it. But also accept that you're never going to be part of that culture, right? And so. I mean,
1: I joke. I joke about the Bobby Caldwell thing, but it's the same thing. Like people listen to that song and be like, damn, is like, that's a white man? Yeah. Like every, t- every time somebody is told that that song yeah. is a white man. <laughs> it was like oh, oh my God. like shocked to their core because the thing is they did such a good job they did such a good job right? and and they, they knew the assignment and they did a good job because right. they actually cared about what they were doing but,
0: but the biggest part is and Dennis Villanueva is doing a great job with this right but the biggest part is when people from the culture that you are making your art about say I don't like that <laughs> and your response is, mm-hmm. but it's my movie, it's my novel, it's my what I read a book. My friend is whatever I, you know. It's like, Ugh. please stop, right? Because like nobody's yeah. no, no, there nobody's putting any boundaries on you <laughs> at all. Yeah. In yeah. so many different, we want ways. you to continue making movies. Right. The thing of,
2: I would even hate that less if they weren't so like it's my movie and therefore like no one can say bad things about exactly. it Exactly, like, if you like, yeah, yeah like i, I would be defensive perfectly happy if they were like i made my thing like i'm happy with it like this is the this is the exact vision <laughs> that i had and like people say that well actually some of that's offensive and you go well i'm sorry to hear that but like it's my vision so tough shit like at least stand yeah, in it. Like right. don't don't tell me that I don't get to have feelings about it when it directly reflects and relates to me. And
0: that's and that's the issue that's happening now is you have a lot of people who are like, well, Frank Herbert, when he wrote the book, yada yada yada, and it's like he wasn't woke. Right? Well, because it's like, <laughs> did. well, look, I mean, great for Frank Herbert and glad that he did that, but also like you're not if you're not North African, Middle Eastern. And those people are telling you that this is hurtful or disrespectful to me and my culture, where I come from, my response to that is, oh, okay. Let's examine that and readjust and do better. Your response to that should not be well, but Frank Herbert, when he, it's like, great i guess i guess but that's not i know that. the same is not involved
2: that. he is dead leave him alone yeah that's you're having <laughs> two, your choices
0: you're having two very different conversations where on the one hand you are trying to defend the legacy you're of are trying to defend yourself who it, who is not infallible or, or fallible right like who who is so right about everything that they've ever done that there is nothing that you can say yeah he was he wrote a great book but also was this a little racist right was this a little bit insensitive was this a little bit like both things can be true right but anytime sure, people yeah. push back against something cuz dune is very much again uh, like a, a like a very center Uh, point for a lot of science fiction, a lot of things reverberate out of that. So anytime anybody questions Dune, specifically in terms of race, and all of those things, people always point back to those Frank Herbert quotes, but they don't do more than that. Right. (laughs) And so it's like, you're, 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 you're quoting things to me, but you're not necessarily engaging in the conversation that I'm trying to have with you. You're trying to deflect and say, well, I don't know about that. Or that wasn't what he was trying to Wow well, yeah, I don't know about that right. but I what I
1: thought, what I heard.
0: But like I'm
1: not asking about
0: that. When we so when we when we adapt to things like this, how do you both feel about like taking something that again written a long time ago, you know, coming from a certain place, certain perspective, and adapting it into the modern age? Is it about fundamentally changing certain aspects of it to make it feel or fit more modern or is it about how, how slavishly should we like adapt these these works so that it's like a one-to-one or is there room for wiggling around and, and kind of merging more modern cultural ideas because look we just did in, in the Jones and the Temple of Doom that's a racist <laughs> movie. There's a lot of yellow face, there's a lot of brown face, there's a lot of other shit that there's going they on. They still will sneak into some movies today. You still see some brown face, you still see some wild stuff, and you'll just be like, why? But in 1984, I mean, nobody's really checking. They for thought that, it was right? cool, you they, know? So they thought it was lit. Right. Like, how, wh- what are your thoughts on adapting? works like these for a modern era is there ways to do it that still preserve what the work was or is it better to just leave those where they are and
2: make new stories well firstly I think like in general I think that we as like movie consumers in general we tend to forget that like adaptation is a skill in and of itself like that's there's a reason there's like an adapted and original screenplay category at the Oscars Mm -hmm. like it is it is a different skill and, and it's specifically about what you're talking about, about figuring out how to bring a story out of the specific original context in which it was created and make it relevant to a new context. And I think that. I, it's it's hard to give like hard and fast rules about like how to do that because it will always be like specific to story and the 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 environment in which that story is intended to be presented mm-hmm. but but i think that what it comes down to is like recognizing that stories aren't static and that we are always bringing our full histories with us when we consume stories and everyone's history is different. And so you have to recognize that th- the edges and contours of a specific story are going to bump against other people's individual histories in different ways. And to recognize that like, just because it may fit with one set of histories doesn't mean that it's gonna hit a fit with another. And I don't think that that's necessarily bad. I think that's just the nature of the beast. But I also think that like, it is a thing that you have to be conscious of and recognize as like a hazard of the job, essentially. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah. I don't think you get to, there's no past there. There's definitely no past there when it's like, okay, I'm adapting such and such book and I'm loving this book. I love this book or I'm fascinated by what this book is trying to say, but if you're making a visual adaptation of something that was written in the 1950s and you're making it in 2021 with the, and not even just from a race and gender point of view, I'm talking about like in the art of film, like you're shooting with different cameras, you're shooting mm-hmm. with different audio te- te- uh, technical abilities, You have access to language and to people who can make things happen in a way that they couldn't make things happen 50 years ago, 40 years ago. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. If, If you have a, say, for example, like in the movie, you have a language that is slightly of Arabic origin. You can't not acknowledge that because there are people who are going to go see this movie who speak Arabic. There are people who are going to go see this movie who to a larger degree have, you know, faces like the people they're watching. They can't mm-hmm. I can't disassociate that, mm-hmm. you know, and I'm not saying like, I'm not even saying like Stephen McKinley Henderson looks like me, you know what I'm saying? I'm just saying I, I have to acknowledge that that's a black man in that movie. Yeah. I have to acknowledge that that, that Fremen woman uh, who, you know, her sacrificed her life for Paul. Was a black woman, I can't like walk, I can't, yeah. if you would, ad- you can adapt your ass off, but you can't adapt that away from me. I can't like, mm. I can't not see that. Well, it, That's, it's a it's a yeah, visual think, medium. You can't escape what you end up putting on screen.
2: Cause I think the, the other thing too, is that we have to stop pretending like these movies exist in a vacuum. Like they don't, yes, they're yes. still very much like products of and like contribute just to the wider culture. Mm-hmm they influence and are influenced by like what exists for the rest of us. And like, those things don't simply disappear or fall away because we have made a thing.
0: Yes. Well, that's, I mean, Dennis wave anticipate us pulling out of Afghanistan (laughs) while this movie was coming out. (laughs) I mean,
2: mean, if he did, I have some questions.
0: (laughs) Yeah. So there's, there's always going to be things that are out of your control. And, you know, I feel like obviously art and judgment kind of are going to go hand in hand, right? Like, I don't think we're going to live to see a day in which art exists free of, you know, people's critiques or judgment or, you know, just general opinion, right? So when you are approaching these things, I think in the context of Dune specifically, right, all of these things were already there. People had already made these critiques. People had already said these things about Dune. They said this about David Lynch's version of Dune, like, you know, these were not new things that you were approaching for the first time, Mm. right? And so Mm -hmm. I think they did attempt to course correct. And even the doctor, Dr. Kynes, in the book is a white man, or at least a man. Mm -hmm. And then this version is a black woman. And so even that choice is intentional, but it's also like, when you do that, right and then she gets murdered right like you don't get to not (laughs) you know you don't get
1: to not that doesn't that's not separate
2: to be fair i don't think she gets murdered she like intentionally calls the sound worms to come get them right right she's it's it's honestly kind of badass but she's still dead so it's not you know she's
0: trying to she she's trying to escape she gets let's let's say she gets assassinated by the suit guard right like she is killed on screen and and so in (laughs) that way you are still Presenting these characters, not necessarily as because even her character literally does not have agency. She says it numerous times throughout the film mm. that I can't act against the Emperor's wishes. I am just doing mm-hmm. what I've been told. And so when you have all these characters and you have people who are, you know, across various backgrounds, and this movie is going to be a huge worldwide you know worldwide in movie, yeah yes mm-hmm. there's no way to make art that that supplicates and pleases everybody right but at the same time it's still about if i know this is going to be a problem how can i work to mitigate that problem as much as possible before it gets before consumers and even more so i think speaking to just like sensitivity in general right like this is the whole Conversation we're continuing to have when people bring up cancer culture and all this other shit. It's just like what people are asking you to do is just be sensitive and just be aware of the and world. Be cognizant. You, right? uh, like, yes, you don't have to cause harm. You can choose not to do that. You can make mm-hmm. another choice that maybe isn't as exciting and is not as or it doesn't fit the vision of the, the, the book or mm-hmm. whatever you're adapting, but at the same sure. time speaks to. So. I haven't gotten to watch it yet, but, and you know, we'll see what happens, but why the last man, right. Is
2: about Mm -hmm.
0: a world in which all the men die and it's only women. That graphic novel series was coming out in like mid early 2000s. Right. Yes. Now, when it comes out, there are trans people working on the show and they're saying, well, wait a minute. What does that mean, right? Because we're talking about yeah. chromosomes and all these other things, but that still doesn't speak to me in my experience and what it means to be trans. And so that's another layer that gets added onto the show, which doesn't take mm-hmm. away from it, but just adds even more and includes more people. And I don't think that's a bad thing, right? I don't think bringing more people yeah. mm-hmm. into your world. I don't- yeah is doing your research isn't a bad right. thing and so i think there's doing your due diligence yeah.
1: honestly So i think
0: there's ways to do this that is it going to be more work or are you going to have to think you know a little bit more outside of the typical box that you do are you going to have to you know divvy up your hiring practices where yeah we would normally hire this person but we're working on a movie about south america maybe we should get a south american casting director You know who can who can speak to more of this maybe we should do our research on like who's available or who's you know a big film star in in these specific areas and we can Mm. cast those people we can get those people in bring that audience film because it's going to make the movie better it's going to make whatever yeah. we're working on better. It's not going to make it worse because we, it's going to make it worse. If you again just play diversity bingo and just hire a bunch of people and say, well, yeah, well that kind of fills the quota. Right? Like that looks right. Right. That's,
1: that's sort of something, right? Yeah.
0: And then we just move yeah. on with it where it's just like, mm, cause we're going to see it. The people that you're trying to appeal to are going to see through mm-hmm. it and be like, yeah, <laughs> nah, that's not for me. Right. So I think, Moving into our Caucasity ranking for uh, oh. <laughs> for Dune again, it's difficult because this movie is part one of multi parts of a film, but we still have to put it on the ranking for now. So we can adjust this Start ranking later as things come out. We will revisit this when Dune Part Two comes out. But for now, okay, these are our three rankings of Caucasity. So the first ranking, <laughs> okay, is Shorts in the Winter uh <laughs> we we've, we've 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 talked about including shorts in the winter or like bare feet
1: yeah sandals in the winter time like they're both the same or even just thing, just, where... just
0: bare feet mm-hmm. in the city right just like walking around I got it, which I got, i've, I've I, seen i'm repeatedly. on the way white, i get it
1: Oh my God, I'm seeing that more and more recently. Yeah, so it's
0: I'm terrified of it. <laughs> it's something that's it's not harmful to me, but I have questions right. about you. You're making a choice that seems mm-hmm. bizarre, harmful, harmful <laughs> possibly. Yeah, it's 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 to yourself questionable, uh, but it's not necessarily doing any real harm to me. I just kind of have I'm concerned for you. I want you to to take care of yourself, right? The second level, Cameron is. Uh, the second, <laughs> the second level is
1: touching my hair is t- touching black hair, because then you've entered my space and committed an act of violence. <laughs> Not necessarily like, you know, you've drawn blood, but you definitely you knew what you were mm-hmm. doing. hmm. You you knew that you okay. weren't you don't see Jared on the job, and you're like, oh man, Jared, you got a lush <laughs> hair, uh, head of hair up there. I gotta see what's going on. No, mm. you've only asked Tyro. Yeah,
0: yeah. <laughs> uh, got our our last level, we we are debating it in real time, but it is either going to be is either going to be Aaron Rodgers, Aaron Rodgers, uh, I'm immunized or i'm immunized (laughs) or uh what's the big deal about critical race theory right or yeah critical race theory is it a is it a problem like i mean it's a it could be
1: a problem it might be but i don't know anything about it though
0: and that's like you're you know what that's like you're doing this you know
1: what you're doing and that's an actual that's a that's actually creating problems for everyone else yeah Aaron Rodgers is creating problem for most directly his teammates, and I'm uh, proud
2: of myself for understanding that sports reference (laughs) There Um, you go. You you know what you're doing, but But that's only because he's with what's her face. Yeah. So,
0: but it's also that you you don't care. (laughs) You yeah, you're being reckless. Uh,
2: I mean, in in terms of Dune specifically, I I feel like I have to hedge just because like I am aware of what should be coming and also to be fair what this movie does in fact set up like i did come away from this movie feeling like okay so like the next insultment is all about the front so for that reason i'm gonna go with shorts in the snow because while this movie is actually not very white it's like very white energy <laughs> so because like the like the vast majority of this cast is not white yeah. One thousand, but they're all dead. Yeah. So you know, <laughs> There's eh, six of one half dozen yeah. of the other. Oh shit,
1: um, uh, Cameron, but what yeah. do you think? Oh yeah, this movie is definitely touching my hair. Mm. This movie is for sure touching my hair. <laughs> uh Not and, and I'm not saying I let it. <laughs> I'm just saying, like, I I get it. I've seen it a million times. I, I'm not gonna cause a fuss about this one, but I'm definitely taking note.
2: <laughs> we have lists for HR. Yeah, there
1: you go. There you go. And and when and, and when part say two sometimes. reveals itself, and when part two reveals itself, I'm gonna take this list. Yeah, I'm gonna hit send <laughs> on that email. And if I have to go to HR, then I got the, I got. What well, I'm ready. I'm ready. I would, the clip is loaded.
0: I would say yeah it's a it's a it's a shorts and the winner 0.5 right like i don't yeah. know what is between shorts and my hair but <laughs> <laughs> yeah she's on the back. yeah yeah right it, yeah it's, it's somewhere in there where <laughs> you know having coming coming at it from at least reading the first book i haven't read the subsequent books but like knowing what the course of it is there's a bit of it that i'm like Mm, all right, like we're gonna see what this how you pull this off because you know mm-hmm. once it's on when, when you read it in the book and there's a lot of other things and it's playing out in your mind that's one thing when it's on the screen and yeah. we're all watching it that's a very different mm-hmm. thing and so <laughs> these things yeah. could change because um, reading the book I didn't come away from it like oh boy that was uh <laughs> something's going on here watching the David yeah. Lynch one I was like. I mean, yeah, this is all white people watching this one. I was very aware of all of the the people of color <laughs> dying yeah. one after yeah. another, and I was yeah. like, quickly oh. too, quickly too. <laughs> yeah. So there, there, there is, there are problems, right? There is some problematic mm-hmm. elements of this film that have to be discussed specifically when we're talking about casting of North African and Middle Eastern actors, specifically them being casted into speaking roles specifically even with the idea of and I know they had to divvy up th- it this way from book to screen if they're gonna do it in two parts, but like mm-hmm. you know the fremen are kind of seen as like this other thing, right like even Zendaya is like people have <laughs> have, have noted that she's doing a perfume commercial within this this movie. <laughs> right?
1: oh my god, her and in- you could yeah. cut all her scenes together and it would look exactly like uh yeah. an eve saint laurent yeah perfume commercial. She's, she's giving
0: wistful glances behind her shoulder in a desert oh. re, you know and it's just kind of like the camera wh- whiffing past her with with spice in the air you know so she she herself is kind of like this mythologized held up figure of like oh she's got to be the greatest thing ever because i've been dreaming about her this whole time like wow um, right and when you meet her it is kind of like not what paul expected but we also don't know anything about her. So she is just kind of like. Mm-hmm. We don't even know much about her once we've met yeah, her. Yeah, she's like an empty vessel yeah. to be filled at another time, right? So, like, there are certain things where yeah, it's. Yeah, we'll like, get to it later. Yeah, it's like, mm, okay, I wish you would have handled things differently, but you're definitely not yeah. going in the direction that this isn't Green Book. <laughs> this isn't uh, <laughs> you, you know, a lot of other
2: things, where Yeah, like,
0: yeah. Eesh. Oh. Um,
2: yeah, I. I... I think it's really going to come down to what happens when we get part two and whether or not they're able to kind of land the dismount. Cause mm-hmm. I think my opinion of this movie is high, but is flexible in that it may change if part two does not do what has been promised.
0: Well, before we go, we can't leave without getting these jokes off. Right. And so I will, <laughs> I will, re- I will refer to. You can find him on Twitter, Ike Moses. Um his his handle is Reverend Rodney King Jr. But oh my God. <laughs> Black, Black Twitter, like this is what we do for these movies, right? So <laughs> I'm just gonna read a couple of choice tweets that oh I was like oh yeah, yeah, I'm here for it. Love the energy. Uh, so <laughs> these are these are from Ike Moses. Watching Dune, I refuse to believe these niggas are still playing bagpipes. Niggas got spacecrafts, force fields, <laughs> listening to bagpipes in the year 10,191. does want me to hear bagpipes in DTS sound, but I'm about to snatch my HDMI out of my soundboard. This makes no sense. Which I have to agree with. Like, yeah, what the fuck was up with the bagpipes <laughs> at all? Like, it, it, I
1: mean, as a book reader, is that in there?
0: Uh,. I think there's some elements of it, but it's also, I mean, again, how are you going to? And de- they played
1: bagpipes as we landed. Yeah, how are you going to describe other, certain like,
0: things in a book? You know, that it's like that's not really sure. necessary. So I was also like, I mean, at least make them electric. At least give me something different. I don't <laughs> know,
1: like a little bit of a uh, Fury Road yeah.
0: bagpipes. Um, <laughs> another tweet. Don't try to sandwalk. if you ain't from the hood. Which again. I agree with. Ooh. I feel like uh, <laughs> watching. That's true. I don't want to catch you hard. on the street sandwalking. Yo. Yeah, watching watching Lady Jessica try to sandwalk. Uh, you know, it's it's telling that the whole premise of it is to walk offbeat, right? <laughs> and not. <laughs> <laughs> so when they come, yo, I didn't even... it's oh, kind of like, man, even... but that's good. Anyways, oh my god. Um... <laughs> <laughs> My my favorite one though is a oh, movie about a white boy good. who allergic to spice. Frank Herbert is a genius. <laughs> he was quick to it. I was like, yeah, I see. I, see put, I oh bet. God. I bet he
1: closed like he wrote the final pages of Dune, and he was like, you know, close the book. He was like, the end. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> oh, what is that? <laughs> um,
0: but before we get out of here, uh, last two things. We don't have to recommend anything in place of Dune because I feel like people should watch Dune like I, I would yeah. tell you to watch a yeah. movie. Like So uh, <laughs> we don't necessarily have to recommend movies that you should watch instead. But are there any movies that you two would like to recommend just in general, just to watch? Uh, you think people should check out?
1: Uh, the Hate Isn't Real Go see Eternals is actually pretty good. Mm.
2: I recently got a chance to see Spencer, which I think just released Mm. on Friday. And I really, 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 really loved it. And I would definitely recommend it.
0: All right. Uh, I'm going to recommend a weird movie. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But I just, I just watched today. Um, It is, it is on Criterion, but I think you can find it in some other places. Um, It's a movie called Rat Film. Uh, It is about. No, I hate it. It's about Baltimore. <laughs> yeah, same. Uh, it's directed by Theo Anthony, who is a, like a documentary and director from Baltimore. And it's, it is fascinating to watch because it is kind of this experimental documentary that looks at the rats in Baltimore, but also like the history of the way that the city has been redlined, uh, the history of Johns Hopkins like kind of doing experiments on rat control but specifically in black areas and like using like a weird mm. like chemical stuff and like a whole bunch of other things and it is just almost like a a strangely anthropological breakdown of Baltimore because they they break it up very much so between like how white residents and black residents deal with the rats and there's one White dude who I presume is out there probably somewhere in like Fells Point or something. And he's got like a blow dart and like other things that he's like hunting rats with in the alley. And then there's some other people that I presume to be somewhere in West Baltimore that have a fishing line and a baseball bat. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and are trying to catch right. rats it's a wild movie i mean i got criteria I on channel too God, so I if you don't like rats I'm not. Not. you know what i mean like there was some parts of it no. that i was like i don't need to look uh-uh. at this but i think it's a fascinating <laughs> cameron for you know for being from baltimore like it's i think you should, you should i, definitely I watch do it. have a criterion
1: account i am from baltimore as grossed out as i am of this idea it's i'm slightly interesting and i have no, access the access, worst so.
2: mistake i ever made was googling rat king uh, so i will mm, not be part of yeah. jesus yeah. oh yeah.
1: i live in new york i've seen him so i know I, mean, <laughs> nope, I, nope. I never thought Mm-mm. i'd see a rat king nope Yeah. i am yeah and i'm sure in this movie They got one for you. (laughs) I feel like if you're going to make a movie about rats and like not show people a rat king, it's like, why? Why are you you wasting time? (laughs)
0: Uh, Well, on that note, thanks so much for (laughs) joining us.
2: Thank you for having me. Please
0: tell everybody because you're doing a lot of really cool things um, between the newsletter and your reviews and all this other stuff. So tell everybody where they can find you and tell everybody what you're working on.
2: Um, mostly, I'm talking shit on Twitter when I should be doing work. Um, but uh, you can find me at battymamzelle, which is uh, B-A-T-T-Y, uh, Um, And most prominently, I am currently writing a film review newsletter weekly that drops on Fridays called 3040 30 Film. You can find that on Substack.
0: Nice, uh, Cameron. What's up with you? What are you What are you doing? What are you working on? <laughs>
1: So many things. Um, uh, I am on Twitter and Instagram at the Blipster eleven uh, thirty eight. Usually making comedy with Two Karen with Love. You can find them on the various internets at Two Karen with Love or Two Karen Comedy. I think on Twitter. Um, yeah, uh, we we making we making Negroes laugh out yeah.
0: here. And you got you you got some screenplay stuff going on.
1: I got some screenplay stuff going on, but I can't talk yeah,
0: about that's that. What, you know, but you but you're working though, and that's you know. That's
1: I swear, up. I swear. Once I got some screenplay stuff talking yeah. going on that I can actually talk about, y'all talk y'all, gonna about <laughs> <it>. <laughs> y'all gonna hear about it. Y'all gonna hear about it.
0: And I'm Jordan Clark. You can find me on Twitter and on Instagram at jrsosa18, jrsosa18. Comic stuff coming soon. Working on that. Um, So, similar to Cameron, when it's it's announceable, I will announce it. You will hear about it. Um, That's right. We move in silence. (laughs) Uh, But that's going to do it for us. Thank you guys so much for listening, and we'll catch you next time. Peace. Peace.
2: Bye. can't save us
0: we don't want to be saved can't
2: save us we don't want to be saved can't save us we don't want to be saved can't save us we don't want to be saved can't save us we don't want to be saved can't save us we don't want to be saved can't save us
0: we don't want to be safe. can't save us we don't want to be saved